Hello and welcome back to Watson Farley and Williams' Countdown to COP Financing and Fueling the Future podcast series. I'm your host, Barry Main Garcia. In this chapter, we'll be talking about how transport by rail can contribute towards a net zero future. I'm delighted to introduce our guest today, Frederick Lawrenson. Frederick is a partner in the firm's assets and structured finance group based in Frankfurt. He has almost two decades of experience advising on transactions in the transport sector. Thank you for joining us today, Frederick. Thank you, Vary. Thank you for having me on this podcast. I think this is really a great opportunity to talk about this um, important topic. When you travel by German train, which I do quite a lot when I visit clients, for example, uh, punctuality dropped to just 65% in 2022. Gosh, that, that's an interesting statistic. And, and would you say that's a general trend globally sort of towards net zero? If rail is meant to play a major role in the shift towards carbon neutrality, how can this be achieved if the rail infrastructure is outdated and in some cases unreliable? Yeah, that's a good question. 25% of the EU's overall greenhouse gas emissions are attributable to transport. And as part of its Green Deal, the EU wants to cut transport greenhouse gas emissions by 90% until 2050. And this is really where rail could help because rail traffic is mostly electric, which means that it's emission-free, at least on the local level. Then you ask yourself, why isn't rail traffic developing more dynamically? Because if you look at the share of freight, which is transported by rail in Germany, it just increased by 3.6% from 2000 to 2022. If you look at other EU member states, uh, that share is 25% in Austria and even 41% in Switzerland. In Germany, it is 19%. These are really interesting statistics. Uh, there's clearly a, a real opportunity for rail to contribute towards achieving net zero. But from what you've said, it does seem that that potential is not being realized. What can be done to promote rail-bound traffic further? And, and what are the impediments? That's a comprehensive question, really. I mean, a lot can be done. Well, two main topics. The first one being financing and the second one being improving infrastructure and its use. So let's kick off with financing. What can you do in order to make financing of rail, of rolling stock and rail infrastructure more attractive? Uh, and, and what's the status there in general? So I'd like to touch briefly on a couple of points. Uh, first one is a point um, very interesting on the EU level, the EU taxonomy. Um, the EU has introduced a classification system which classifies economic activity into green and brown and electric locomotives fall within the green category. Now that classification system does nothing more than creating transparency so that people can see which economic activity is actually green and contributes to the road to net zero and which doesn't. Well, it does one thing more. As of next year, banks have to publish which part of their loan portfolio actually is green and which part is brown. So they 
become comparable in that respect. This is where people think that banks might want um, to invest rather in green loans than in brown loans. The financing of locomotives, obviously more attractive. So the EU taxonomy is a good thing and will promote financing of rolling stock. One other thing, which is basically a good thing in the financing space is the Luxembourg protocol. Um, now, what does that mean? So if a bank lends, it normally wants to, to take security in order to secure its loan. And if a bank lends some money to finance rolling stock, a locomotive or a rail car, that security naturally would be taken over that locomotive or over that rail car. But uh, freight, rail traffic is mostly cross-border. So that locomotive or rail car travels from Germany to France and the security which you took over that locomotive in Germany will not be recognized in France. So that might come as a surprise to many because you would think the EU has harmonized so many laws, but it hasn't harmonized the laws relevant for taking security. So there is some uncertainty whether your security will still be valid when you travel abroad. You can structure around that and we do that uh, when we advise on transactions. So that kind of uncertainty is basically good for us lawyers, but it's obviously an impediment when it comes to rail financing. And this is where the Luxembourg Protocol comes in. Um, the Luxembourg Protocol creates a security interest, which is recognized by all member states which sign up to the Luxembourg Protocol. This is definitely something which will help financing of rolling stock. Thank you, Frederick. Quite a few limbs there in relation to financing. And from what you said, there's, there's some real potential for green financing. But there are also some challenges uh, if green classification requirements cannot be met and also some challenges in relation to the cost of financing. You mentioned that there are two main areas that will promote rail development, financing, which we, we've just discussed, uh, as well as infrastructure. So what can be done to improve rail infrastructure? Yeah, right. There is um, this is the other main topic. And to be honest, that's probably even more important. So. Again, I'd like to concentrate on a, on a few topics here. There is an initiative which the EU proposes, that's the, EU's com the EU Commission's Greening Freight Proposal. Um, and that is just brand new from July 2023. And it basically aims at making better use of existing rail infrastructure, management of rail traffic, and focusing on cross-border rail traffic, because rail traffic and rail up until 20 years, 25 years ago was a very national matter. And it takes a lot of steps in order to harmonize it on the EU level. And there is still a lot of potential. So, and, and, and one other interesting aim is that, that this, this EU proposal also tries to set a framework to measure greenhouse gas emissions across all transport services, um, increase transparency. So one other topic to improve existing infrastructure and its use is ETCS, which is an acronym for European Train Control System. And this is supposed to increase interoperability and um, the existing network's capacity. So rail systems are managed on a very national basis. 
although around 50% of freight traffic is cross-border. So if a train, uh, well, a train cannot be run on site. Instead, a train track is divided into different sections and a train is only allowed to enter a section if no other train is driving in that section. Now, this is obviously for security purposes. And if a driver does not comply, um, the train is stopped automatically by the various security systems. So this existing security system is um, different from a technical perspective in various member states. And if you want a locomotive to run cross-border, it needs to be equipped with, um, with technique, which is compatible to all those various uh, security systems, which is obviously expensive and uh, quite complex. And ETCS aims at harmonizing that with one single standard. So what ETCS also might be able to do is to reduce the distance between two trains which are running on the same track. Um, and if it can do that, then more trains can drive on a network at the same time, which would increase the network's capacity. And, and, and in terms of ETCS, as you're saying, you know, talking about it in, in the future, uh, is it in place? Is it common at the moment in, in some of the member states or is it still quite new? No, it's uh, unfortunately, it's not new um, and <laughs> it's not common either. There are some member states which um, use it already but there are others which, which don't. So typically uh, member states which have uh, a much smaller network of, of, of rail tracks, they might've implemented ETCS already. It seems there's a lot that can be done to improve rail infrastructure, interoperability, network capacity, and so on. But clearly there do remain a lot of challenges both at the European Union level and at a member state level in order to realize those improvements. Could we move on and, and look at a more general global perspective, perhaps? In countries where there's no or limited rail infrastructure or where there is aging rail infrastructure, how can that be developed and how can rail infrastructure contribute towards the achievement of net zero in those countries? Well, I think in countries where there is not much rail infrastructure yet, there is a unique opportunity to set up these things right. Um, and obviously, I mean, having said that rail infrastructure is very beneficial and efficient when it comes to greenhouse gas emission, it, it definitely can play an important role um, in, say, developing countries, um, in other countries where there isn't much rail infrastructure yet. So yeah, this is, um, this is very important. And I guess this is also something where we see quite some activity um, in our advisory practice. Thank you. So it seems that where there's a, a blank canvas, perhaps it, it almost is easier to, to contribute to achieving uh, those, those net zero goals because you're, you're really starting from, I suppose, a lower common denominator. Yeah, this is, this is, really, this is really the case, I think. Um, and this is really the... the, the um, the main impediment when you look at Europe or even Germany that that all th that there is already so much there, so many different interests to be balanced, and that can, to some extent, well, we can block ourselves, uh, and it's much easier if you if you start on a clean sheet.
Okay, and, and you've mentioned we've already discussed reliability and efficiencies, and perhaps we could add to that affordability. So what kind of impact will reliability, efficiencies and affordability have on the ability of rail to displace other types of transport? So how can rail compete with other transport sectors which are evolving themselves and moving towards low carbon solutions? If you, if you make rail more reliable, um there is a tendency of it becoming more expensive as well. But of course, yeah, transport by truck, for example, is going to become green as well. It's going to be electrified, probably going to be done by hydrogen-powered trucks um, in, I don't know, five or ten years. Um, and that will make things or might make things more difficult for rail, as long as this is not the case. Uh, the big advantage of rail is still that it's um, rather greenhouse gas free, or at least emits much less greenhouse gas than transport by uh, a fuel driven truck. So it sounds like we have really an ongoing process uh, within the rail sector, but also how rail will sit relative to other transport sectors. What will be the most important steps during the next five years to help the rail sector and the drive towards net zero. Yeah, there there will be there will be there will be many steps. It's it's a lot um, which has to be done. But if I had to decide what's the most important one, then I would probably go for the improvement of the existing infrastructure, and then again the financing element. Basically, the two topics we 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 spoke about: improving the infrastructure. The existing infrastructure is going to cost a lot. Yeah, so so the, these two elements, I, I assume, are the, are the most important ones. Thanks, Frederick. There are certainly a lot of, of takeaways from our discussion. Rail has an important role to play in achieving net zero, but there's going to be quite a journey if that role is going to keep on track. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist mentioning keep on track somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> sure. If I can close with just a couple of highlights. Firstly, the real and perceived issues around reliability, efficiencies, and potentially also affordability will need to be addressed if rail's role in achieving net zero is going to reach its full potential. And secondly, there will need to be proactive and combined efforts across the rail sector. So from manufacturers, developers, operators, lenders, that financing element that you mentioned, as well as regulators and governments. And I think one of the key things there is it's not just at a domestic level, but it's also at a regional or in Europe's case at an EU level, but also at international levels if really rail is, is going to reach its full potential in, in helping drive forward net zero. Frederick, thank you for being our guest today. It's really been quite insightful. And thank you to the audience for listening. We look forward to welcoming you to our next episode of Watson, Farley and Williams Countdown to COP Financing and Fueling the Future podcast series.